this is Randy Schultz, and uh, welcome to another episode of A Bird Hunter's Thoughts, Turn Them Loose, a podcast about bird dogs and bird hunting. I'd like to remind you that you can go to abirdhunterthoughts.com. It's my landing page. Uh, on the right-hand side, you'll see a list of sponsors, and I encourage you to go ahead and click on those and, and take a look at them, and uh, you'll find some pretty useful stuff over there. Also, don't forget that you can click on the link to my book, Endless October. You can buy it off of Amazon, or you can send me an email at endlessoctoberbook at gmail.com, and I'll arrange to get you an autographed copy. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm on my way to hunt Mern's quail in the mountains of Arizona. It's 48 degrees right now. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. I've left Tucson where I'm staying with a friend of mine who has uh, introduced me to Mern's quail, Wally. And uh, he's up ahead of me in the truck. I'm uh, following him out to the area, which is uh, south of uh, Tucson is where we're going to hunt. Although I have... Um, hunted Mern's quail in New Mexico, believe it or not, and they are pretty much in the mountains that rim the southern, uh, you know, the southwest here. Uh, we're at the extreme northern end of their range, and primarily they extend all the way down through Mexico, so they're a really, <clears throat> really, uh, really a niche bird, uh, and they're really kind of a niche in the country as well. So um, I was going to tell you a little bit about Mern's quail. They're unusual in that they uh, act quite a bit differently than what we would, uh, you know, the king of game birds, the Bob White. And uh, they will hold so tight that uh, you'll walk right by them. If you don't have a dog working where you're walking, uh, you can walk right by a covey, and they will not flush. They'll sit there and look right at you. Uh, which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, I enjoy that because they're great for young dogs. Um, the other thing is they're uh, up in those mountains. Uh, they're about 5,500 feet elevation. Uh, the cool thing is there's no snakes and you don't have to boot your dogs, uh, in, you know, normally. And uh, so and the country is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I mean, it's well, it's it's hilly. Uh, with these oak trees and uh, grass, brown grass. It looks to me what uh, I visualize as uh, certain sections of Spain. It's just beautiful, just beautiful. So, Mern's Quail Central is Patagonia, Arizona, the city, Patagonia. That's sort of central, and uh, everybody kind of goes there and operates out of there. Uh, I'm lucky in that I've, uh, Wally has been hunting these birds for 35 to 40 years, and uh, we, we go to a different area. So uh, that's great, but uh, Patagonia is really kind of the, the hub of uh, bird's quail hunting. Anyway, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we are on our way down to meet uh, another young guy that wants to try his hand at bird's hunting. Uh, he is running a Poodle Pointer, which I've not met him. So uh, he says, uh, Wally met him and said that he seemed like a nice young man, and uh, he's got a he's got a nice dog, and actually brought his wife and children down here to, to Patagonia 
and rented a house for two weeks. So uh, what a way to jump into a new uh, a new species of birds. <laughs> anyway, we're on our way down to meet him and, and uh, take him out today and uh, talk with him for a couple hours. So anyway, stay tuned, and I'll uh, keep you updated. And uh, first, uh, let's go ahead and talk about some other stuff. I feed Dr. Tim's food, Dr. Tim's kibble dog food at drtims.com, D-R-T-I-M-S.com. And I do it for several reasons, and I got the idea to try it from a real famous field trialer in Nastra. I one time I just walked over to him and asked him what he fed. He said, Dr. Pims. And I said, well, never heard of it. He said, give it a try. So I did, and uh, I found out that it's a great feed. The dogs are never off their feed, no matter how long we're out bird hunting, 10, 14 days. Uh, they never get off their feed. They always attack the bull. It's uh, plenty of nutrition for them. And uh, don't, have to, don't have to put any additives in there. Uh, and they love it, wet or dry. So I highly recommend it. Uh, here's the good news. I just found out. I just got an email from Megan there at Dr. Tim's. And, uh, she said that if you use the coupon code FLYBOY, F-L-Y-B-O-Y, then you get 25% off any order, no minimum, on their website, drtims.com. We're back, and we're talking about hunting Mern's quail in uh, Arizona, down in southern Arizona near Patagonia, which is sort of uh, Mern's quail central. In fact, they've got one of those great big signs right outside of town. It's got a bunch of Mern's quail on it, flushing, which I think is appropriate. Uh, beautiful, beautiful country, rolling hills, grass, and those uh, short oak trees, which are necessary for Mern's. So the Mars quail that we talked about hold real tight. Uh, one of the other characteristics of them is that they they don't eat uh, mainly uh, Caesar bugs. They eat uh, tubers, which they dig out from underneath these short oak trees. I I'm remiss in that I don't know the name of those trees. I I'll uh, go look it up maybe on a, another uh, segment. I'll have it for you, but. If you don't have those oak trees, you don't have Mern's quail. And we hunt them at about 5,500 feet elevation. Uh, so that seems to be about what we need to look for. Um, they uh, just hold exceedingly tight. Uh, you probably walked by if you're, you uh, have gotten several cubbies that day and then all of a sudden you're going through a dry spell. And it's probably because you're walking by these birds. It's uh pretty amazing really to me. I, I just enjoy hunting them so much. So the other thing, uh, Mers quail are, are an oddly colored bird. The male has white dots on his breast. <laughs> I know, sounds weird. And the uh, female has them on her uh, wings, but not on her breast. So they're pretty easy to tell apart. When we see a picture of me, go, oh yeah, there's no way I can misidentify those. Of course, when they're in flight, it's impossible, but uh, I guess there's somebody who'll tell you he can pick a male birds out of a cubby rise, and, you know, I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, they're, uh, 
they're pretty easy to tell apart once you've got them in your hand. And uh, they're a little smaller, it seems like, than most birds, but uh, they're just a, a really unique, wonderful bird to hunt. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about the actual hunting experience uh, when we come back. On day one, we uh, I rendezvoused with uh, Wally, the my uh, friend, and uh, two other guys. Uh, interestingly, I'm 69, and I'm the youngest guy in the crowd. Let me see. One of them is 79. Wally's 74. Vince is probably pretty close to pushing 80. These guys are humping these hills out here like nobody's business. I'm I'm impressed. I hope that when I'm that age, I'll be able to do the same thing. But we rendezvoused and. Uh, down uh, near Patagonia and then headed out to our area and it kind of split up. Uh, Vince runs pointing labs and uh, before you shake your head let me tell you something. I hunted behind Vince's pointing labs and we moved six cubbies in two hours. Uh, pointed cubbies. Honestly pointed cubbies uh, and with the other lab backing. Um, and uh, I had a great time. I just put up my Britneys and says, "All right, I got to see how this works." And uh, Vince uh, took his labs out, and uh, they they worked close, of course, uh, probably inside of 50 yards. And uh, he could tell, he could read his dog, and he would say, "Randy, they're on birds," and just like we do with our pointing dogs, and uh, you can tell when they're birdie. And all of a sudden, he the one dog at point, and when I say point, I don't mean just stop. I mean, his tail was up, not straight up, of course, like a, a good uh, pointer or setter, but uh, his tail was up about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, something like that. And the other dog came in and backed, and uh, we walked up in front of those dogs and shot the birds. It was pretty amazing. So Vince had uh, pointing labs, and then uh, Jerry has got a, a female Brit, an older Brit. She's 11, I think. She's still getting around just like Jerry is. And then Wally has a Brittany, and then, of course, I've got my Brittany. So we headed on out and moved three cubbies that morning. And uh, <clears throat> my little boy, uh, Blue, is my little pup, two-year-old. He pointed a really nice cubby, um, pretty much turned around and slammed the point, and then the cubby got up. So... And they were down in the bottom. So we're hunting these draws that come out of the mountains. Uh, not so steep-sided, maybe 100 feet up a side. And broad broad bottoms with creeks running through the bottom. So that's kind of what we're hunting. And we would walk down one draw, cross over at the bottom, and then walk up the other draw back to the truck. So that's pretty much what we're hunting. And sometimes the birds are on the side of the hill. Sometimes they're in the bottoms. Um, sometimes they're on the top, which is bad for me. <laughs> I'm looking up at that hill, and I'm seeing, and they're rocky hills, too. They're not real smooth, so the footing, even though it looks like it's smooth with the grass, it's kind of jumbled rocks, so you got to be kind of careful. But I remember Shaq pointing last year at the top of one of those things, and oh, my gosh. I looked at both the people I'm hunting with, and I said, all right, anybody want to go up there? And they looked at me and go, it's your dog. <laughs> oh, no, no. So I climbed up that hill and had to stop once to catch my breath. It got up to the top, and sure enough, uh, the cubby flushed. It was a nice-sized cubby, but, you know, that's part of Burnside. You're going to end up climbing. You're going to end up humping a hill occasionally. So um, 
we got done uh we got done with our cast and headed back and two of the cubbies were small i'm saying uh three to four birds and uh since that was opening day nobody had been into them but uh so a lot of guys will go out there and camp and will uh, run their dogs before the season opens and that might have been what happened they busted up the cubbies i don't know but we had uh had three cubbies and it turns out that's been uh average or two above average for the hunters out here so that was pretty much the first day the temperature started out about uh i guess it was about 50 degrees went up to about 65 and uh brilliant blue skies it was just a just a gorgeous day it's nice working in those bottoms because you know in the morning you're pretty much in the shade so even if it's warm you're you're cool but uh it seems to me that the birds prefer the shady uh, slopes, which has surprised me. Although, uh, actually, in the morning, you know, the slopes that are in the shade in the morning are in the sun in the afternoon. And maybe that's why they end up over on that side of the draws. The draws run basically north-south. So uh, maybe that's why they end up there, because they end up in the sun in the evening and the afternoon. So I don't know the answer to that, but that's that's what we find out as we're heading south down, a, down one of those... Uh, uh, canyons, the birds seem to gravitate to the left-hand side or the eastern side. So you can you can take that with whatever grain of salt you want. But that's that's what I've noticed. Anyway, that was our first day and uh, had a blast. Uh, the dogs got a lot of seeds in their eyes through that tall grass, which I thought was interesting. And I had to clean seeds out of every dog's eye uh, that was on the ground. I uh, didn't have any lameness, had some, like, nettles in the back of one of my dogs, a big runner, Shaq. I'm not sure where he got them, but uh, it'll take a while to get them out. They're not, uh, they're just kind of aggravating. They don't seem to be doing any harm to the dog, so. But anyway, that was it. So uh, we'll come back and describe day two. shooting I didn't do it I neglected that when I was younger and uh, of course I did a lot of flying as well but uh, and now I've got hearing loss on my right side and uh, probably some on my left I don't know but I use espamerica.com ear attenuators form fit custom molded don't fall out and they work and they protect your ears every sound over 90 decibels. Any sound over 90 decibels is going to damage your auditory nerve. And that damage is not repairable, it's not recoverable, and it never gets better, and it's cumulative. So all that being said, young people, protect them while you're young. And when you get my age, every other word out of your mouth won't be what? And your wife won't be aggravated at you. So I'm saving your marriage, basically. So let's go to ESPAmerica.com and uh, go ahead and take a look through the website and take a look at what they've got. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good stuff. It's good stuff and it works. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what kind of gun I use down here to hunt birds with. Uh, I, I hunt everything with a 20 gauge. Um, and I see most of the guys are, and that I hunt with anyway. And 
I use fairly open chokes. Um, you know, I would think uh, improved choke would be just plenty. Uh, you're going to be shooting over a cubby rise. The birds aren't going to be a long ways away. It's not like you're shooting uh, blue quail or in the desert. And uh, so you get some long shots out there. But these birds are going to be fairly close. And, you know, they're uh, they're quick. They'll get behind a tree in a heartbeat. And uh, they, they know what they're doing when they escape. So uh, and they're, when I say quick, I mean real quick. Uh, they're going to be... Uh, they're going to get up and they're going to go everywhere, and uh, it's, it's going to be that momentary hesitation on your part. When you hesitate, uh, you're doomed. So uh, pick one out and go ahead and shoot at it. And uh, you know, an open choke, uh, say an improved cylinder, or even more open than that if you like. Size shot, uh, I use, of course, 20 gauge. Uh, I use uh, seven and a half typically. Uh, you might even use eights. Uh, they're not a particularly tough bird. So uh, it's not like uh, I shoot sixes on blue quail uh, because they are a tough bird. They're a big tough bird, but these birds are not. They're a little bit smaller, maybe not as tough, and uh, you might uh, benefit by a few more pellets in your in your in your shell. So seven and a half or eights uh, work fine for me. I don't find that uh, I have a problem with not finding birds. Uh, typically, they're dead on the ground. I did I did notice that. Um, uh, one bird, we knocked a bunch of feathers out in a straightaway shot, and maybe a little bit further than normal. Um, and we knocked feathers all over it. Uh, dogs, dog couldn't find it. He went to where the bird came down and got real birdie. But uh, we had to bring in, uh, had uh, one of my best dead bird finders on the ground at the time and brought him in. And, and uh, we found that bird about uh, 30 yards away where he had uh, run and, uh, and hidden and uh, brought in my best dead bird dog or best bird, best dead bird finder uh, he found that bird and pointed it uh, we got over there and I thought it might have been a single or something from a cubby bush but uh, in fact where he pointed was uh, the dead bird I just told him fetch it up he jumped in there and brought it to me so they will run a little bit and the cubbies will move a little bit but nothing like what you experience if you're a uh, blue quail hunter here or something here you see a lot more, and uh, they run a lot farther. In fact, they'll run down a hole. These birds won't do that. They don't seem like they'll do that. Um, of course, there's an exception to every rule. But So uh, I shot out a 20-gauge with a, uh, a more open choke, and I uh, shoot seven and halves and an eight shot. And I do very well on them. You may, get, uh, you may get a different readout from somebody else that hunts them, but I think pretty much most of the guys that I know with on about the same thing. So maybe that'll get you started and uh, give you an idea about what to be shooting down here as far as when you're hunting Merns quail in these mountains. Well, day two started out uh, pretty good. I mean, it was a little cooler in the morning. I was hoping it wasn't going to get so hot. Uh, we, I really did, did want to avoid the 70 degrees in the afternoon. You know, I don't worry about snakes up here in the hills, but it just, it's just hard on the dogs when they get hot. So we started out, and uh, Wally had a, uh, his uh, leg was sore, so he sat this one out this morning, but we picked up a fellow that he knew, a young man uh, named John, that run a, had a poodle pointer, or poodle pointer, I'm not exactly sure how you say that, 
and uh, it's not a, it's not anything like what I thought it would look like. <laughs> so I don't know my breeds very well, I suppose, but he uh, was a really athletic uh, dog. It looked looks a lot like uh, German wire hair pointer, um, or I guess I should say that uh, German wire hair looks a lot like a poodle pointer. Anyway, he was uh, dark and uh, hairy and had that really rough fur that looked like you could be hunting in a blizzard and be thoroughly comfortable. But uh, young dog and uh, very energetic and just long-legged that boy could cover the country. It was really nice watching him work. So John and his dog Moose and me and uh, my dogs, my two pups, uh, Pearl and Shag, set off down uh, one of the canyons uh, in a different in a different place, uh, separated by probably 20 miles as the crow flies, probably two hours of driving uh, because of the uh, terrain. But we set off down there, and it was kind of, I don't know, we didn't see many, anything for a while, and I'm sitting there going, oh, no, this is not going to be a good year, you know, just kind of thinking in the back of my head. And then uh, a ruby locked up, and... Uh, on the edge of a the canyon, the edge of the uh, water course, you know, they swing back and forth down these valleys, and they'll build up a gravel gravel on the turn there, and they'll cover over with grass. So she locked up there. It's in front of a favorite place for these birds. Well, uh, moose came over and backed, and uh, the birds got up. There was only three birds. Um, of course, I dropped one, and uh, kind of expected the rest of the cubby to get up, but uh, that was it. That's all we found on that, uh, that particular covey. Uh, got a moose made a nice retrieve, and we went on down. Kept on hunting that way and uh, really moved uh, just in that draw, three coveys that morning. Uh, in the afternoon, it started getting a lot hotter. It was up to over 70 degrees. And we made it a, we made it a short hunt, but we did get a one good, strong. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, what happened? We, we got all the way down to the end of the draw. And we've been walking quite a while. We, uh, so we made the turn down at the bottom, found another hunter down there, kind of talked to him a little bit uh, about what he was doing. And he had a, he had a one guy, one setter. Um, talked to him about what he was doing and where he'd been and all that kind of stuff. And so we decided we'd just go to the next, the next little wash and head up it, kind of head back towards the truck. Well, we're talking, and because uh, I didn't know John. Uh, before I'd met him that day, and so we're talking about what you do, where you're from, that kind of stuff. We're kind of yakking and talking along, and I, I, I came around a bush, and I looked, and all three dogs are pointed. I mean, we were out in the flat. You know, there was some grass, and there was a tree there, but it's not where I expected the birds to be. But all three dogs are locked down tighter than a tick. So I told John, I said, uh, all right, let's go. They're there. There's birds there. I bet money on it. So we went over there, and I got in front. John's kind of snapping pictures with his phone. Uh, suddenly the dogs released, and I, I'm thinking they must have released because uh, a bird got up. And I'm looking around, looking around to see if I can see a single or because there wasn't a cubby. And nothing. And I'm going, huh. Kind of relaxed a little bit. And just then, about uh, 10 yards away, the, the uh the whole covey got up. It was about 15 birds. It was it was nice right there in the trees, and of course both of us were kind of relaxed, uh, maybe a little too relaxed because they all left and uh, were damaged. Uh, 
So that was part of our eco program that morning. Anyway, we went and looked for singles, couldn't find any, and uh, it was hot. The dogs were worn out, and uh, so we were kind of walking uphill the rest of the way to the truck. And uh, that was kind of fun. Got some good pictures of all three dogs on the white. So. so that was the end of that day, and we're kind of hoping for cooler weather the next day. Well, the third day dawned a little cooler, and that was good. So, and it promised to be a little bit cooler day. They said a little bit of rain in the afternoon. So, we uh, decided to change our uh, the location uh, a little bit. Not much, but uh, a little bit higher into the mountains. So, uh, we had today, uh, John came back and joined us again. Uh, he had, uh, apparently, I had scared him off that first day. So, he came back and was going to join us. Uh, we had uh, Vince with his pointing labs. And uh, Wally and me, and uh, Wally decided he was gonna. He, he started out with us, but his, his legs started hurting again, so he went. He kind of went back to the truck just to, to uh, wait it out. And uh, so what happened? John and I started up a ridge, and Wally or uh, Vince was across the valley on another ridge. We're kind of working up higher into the mountains. Uh, it was cool, which was really good and humid. I mean, it couldn't have been more perfect for bird hunting. It was humid. It was 48 degrees. And, uh, you could just feel the humidity. Um, and it was a real good, strong breeze coming right down the ridge line. And we were going up the ridge line. I mean, I couldn't have written a better script for the sensing conditions for the dogs. So I was real excited. Um, we started out at an area where John and I had found a covey the day before, right before we knocked off. Uh, and... So they don't, you know, when they fly, they're not like, uh, I don't know, they're not like uh, blues or something where they'll leave the country. But these birds don't go that far. And so I, I knew about where they landed. We went over there and looked for singles the other day, but couldn't find any singles. But uh, I started out again. I knew they'd be cubbied up again and putting off a lot more scent. Uh, had my two best dogs on the ground, Cap and Shack, two males. And, you know, they were both, they didn't hunt the day before, and they were raring to go. I'm telling you, they were fired up. So I had them on the ground, uh, had perfect scenting conditions. It was cool. Uh, and I was looking for good things today. So we started out, and I wasn't out of the truck five minutes before both dogs locked up. And it was that cubby that, that uh, flushed. We found them. Uh, it, was, it was nice. Both dogs worked them just perfectly. And, uh, I kicked them up. And, uh, you know, we just, it's a great way to start, great, great way to start the day. So I started on up the ridge line, and uh, we started, uh, after about another 100 yards, uh, I guess this one was uh, Cap's second covey we found, uh, a little bit down off the crest, and another good-sized covey, another bird in the bag, uh, and it just it, hard to describe because we moved seven cubbies moving up that ridge line. Seven cubbies. Six of them pointed by Cap, one of them by Shaq, and we did not, uh, I did not count the singles. I mean, when a dog pointed a single, you know, it didn't go on a counter. It was just, I was just pointing, uh, counting cubbies. So we had seven cubbies uh, working higher and higher and higher up this ridge line. I couldn't I could not, I had a hard time getting Cap back in because he was on autopilot. 
it was just amazing what that nine and a half year old dog could do. Um, he was fired up, uh, rarely in sight, rarely in sight, usually between 50 and 150, 200 yards out. Um, and I'd just wait for his pager. I mean, Shaq would come by, or Shaq wasn't in sight all that much either, but he would swing by, and I'd see him come by the front of me and just kind of cross, you know, left to right or right to left, and he'd go back down one side or up one side or up the ridge line. And, and we were talking, and uh, it, got, it, it literally got to be where, gosh, it's been 15 minutes, and we haven't found a cubby. <laughs> I, that, this was a very unusual day. Well, probably the, it was the best day of mercantile hunting I've ever been in or ever had. So I was I was thrilled, and you know when it happens, you don't realize it. When it happens, you go, okay, I'm having a good day, whatever. But when you get done, you realize that was a special day. Uh, we ran, I ran out of legs, or and actually I was getting kind of hungry. We hunted from nine to twelve, and moved the seven coveys, and who knows how many singles we pointed. And uh, John got his first double. John got his first burns quail. And it happened to be on a double, on a cubby ride, standing on the rocky side of a hillside. I was so impressed. Moose made some great retrieves. Uh, it was just just an incredible experience. So one thing of note that I wanted to bring out, though, that was we were headed back. We didn't get turned around. I knew exactly where the truck was. Uh, so, I mean, I was going to go straight line right to the truck. The issue was... What valley do you want to walk down? Because you're, you're, going to, you're going to walk down a valley eventually. You're going to have to. And we had walked so far up the ridge line that we got up to the top where about four ridge lines come together. So we're up there at the top looking down, and uh, when you, you can see it on your GPS and see it on your map all you want, but when you're looking at it in person, it gets kind of confusing what valley, and we knew that if we committed to the wrong one, we were going to end up with about a four-mile walk on a roadway trying to get back to where we started. So it got to be a little bit of an issue, but what we did was we stopped, we sat down, we got our phones, we got our GPSs, we got our whatever we had with us, and we decided right then what we were going to do until we were in complete agreement with where we were and where we were going. And uh, so we ended up walking down the uh top of a ridge line, ended up getting on a two-track road that I didn't even know was there, a rough one, and walking almost all the way back. We walked back quickly. Um, if we just stopped, because we were both tired. I was tired. John wasn't probably tired. He was too young, too in shape. But uh, I was tired, and I kept the dogs in close. And uh, we walked all the way back uh, pretty quickly. I think if we had hunted back, We'd have probably added four more cubbies to that. And, I, you know, it just wasn't the point of numbers anymore. We had a wonderful day, and there's no sense in ruining it. We got back to um, the truck and ate lunch. Um, and as uh, as we were eating lunch, the rain hit, and it really started pouring. So we called it a day. It was about 48, 49 degrees, and it was a good solid rain. Um, the, one of the problems is some of those roads back there, are uh, real sporting as they are most places in the country when the rain comes down and in fact uh, i started back out to try to get back to the gravel main road i started down a two track and uh, started slipping and sliding pretty good and slapped it into four-wheel drive and and made it out all right but uh, i think if we'd have stayed there much longer it would have been a pretty sporting 
proposition just getting out of where we were parked uh, back back to the gravel so anyway that was a good day we uh kind of knocked off early and it was our last my last day here hunting Mearns, but what a way to end up i mean have a have a personal best banner day and uh with a young man who was starting out and never hunted Mearns before and and uh i t- <laughs> i told him i said hey john it's like this all the time <laughs> Well, I didn't really. I didn't want to ruin him, but I told him. I said you might go years and never have a day like you had today. So, uh, anyway, it was a great, great day. I think it'd be a good time to talk about security down on the border. Um, it's uh, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat when I first got down there. Is after listening to the newscast, you think there's a running gun battle going on down there every day. I think it tends to just scare everybody that, oh, my gosh, there's a, a drug uh, runner behind every bush, and uh, you don't have an AR-15 strapped alongside your with your shotgun that uh, you probably won't survive. And you need a big old Bowie knife, too. Well, it couldn't be further from the truth. I've been hunting down there now for seven, eight years, maybe, uh, often within sight of the border often uh, right on the border and uh, uh, you know many times very very close to the border uh, during the day and um, we have seen uh, one illegal immigrant and he was lost trying to go home (laughs) I kid you not and so I looked at him and he spoke passable English and uh, his name was Antonio and I said, so, Antonio, let me get this straight. You're trying to break back into Mexico? <laughs> At least I thought it was funny. But anyway, I gave him a gallon of fresh water, the best ham sandwich I've ever had, a can of Red Bull, and pointed him to the border. He was only two miles away. Probably go back to the same hole he came in. That was a few years ago, uh, and I actually wrote about it, got a picture of him. It's on my blog. But... Um, I thought it was very interesting. So that's the only guy that I've ever seen. Now, have I seen evidence of, uh, of uh, illegal immigration? Of course. There's trails. Uh, every water hole's got, you know, it's like trampled down. Uh, I guess it could be cows, but I don't think it is. We see backpacks, uh, water containers, blankets, shoes, all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of litter. But uh, never never had an issue, never had a problem, never had trucks broken into. Um, so I think the important thing here is that uh, the perception was way worse than the actual experience. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised, but I was actually surprised that when I got down there, it wasn't more of what you see on the news, you know, just, oh, my gosh, it's horrible. Well, it's not. It's not in, at least not in that area where I was hunting, and uh, that's the only place I hunt down near the border. Um, so security is a security issue as far as someone that drives down and hunts there and then drives back. It's a non-issue. Do I do I carry a weapon besides my shotgun? Yes, I do. And uh, but I do that everywhere I hunt. You know, could be for anything, but. Uh, 
there are possibly times when the shotgun won't work, and so maybe a 40 caliber bullet will. So pigs, uh, wolves, coyotes, whatever. I mean, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. But so I do carry that. It's open carry, and I actually have a holster that fits directly onto the. I'm right-handed, so the right-hand pocket of my Wingworks vest. They make a holster, and it fits right on there, so it's very, very comfortable. Don't even know I've got it there, except for the weight, of course. Um, so the other issue is, what if you're camping down there? Uh, I've talked to numerous guys. There are a lot of people that drive full campers down, and uh, you can camp in the National Forest, which uh, this all this country is, uh, and BLM. You can, you can uh, camp on BLM. You can camp in the National Forest, no problem. I see a lot of people with tents. Uh, I don't see uh, too many individuals doing this by themselves. Usually it's a, it's uh, several men or women together, uh, you know, safety and numbers kind of thing, mentality. But my, my issue, I think, I think my uh, on-the-ground impression is that it's no more dangerous than it is camping anywhere else. Uh, with somebody coming through, is, uh, uh, if they want to steal something when you're out hunting, they're going to go ahead and steal something. So I don't think it's particularly. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's the uh, safety issue is heightened just because we're near the border. I really don't. Those people do not want to be noticed. They don't want to be uh, in trouble. They don't want to be captured. They don't want to be sent home. That kind of thing. So uh, what they want to do is avoid everybody. The stories about the drug runners coming across carrying drugs, well, they're true, but not so much in this area. I talked to the Border Patrol. They said it's typically down in Texas. So, uh, you know, Antonio was on his way to uh, Tucson, as he called it, and uh, he was pointing towards Tucson. His buddies left him. (laughs) He'd been wandering around a week out there lost. I mean, how can you not know if you walk south, you're going to hit the border? I, I didn't figure that out. I forgot to ask him. So, uh, but anyway, he uh, he was out of water, and uh, even though there's plenty of water and stock tanks down around there, you know, you drink drink out of that, you're going to be yeah, you're going to be sick. So uh, he didn't want to drink out of that, and I didn't blame him. So that's why I gave him a gallon of fresh water. But but uh, he we found him sitting under a tree within a hundred feet of our trucks. And uh, if he wanted whatever he wanted, he could have broken into the trucks, but he didn't. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's just smart. And I asked him. I, well, I didn't ask him. I told him. I said, Antonio, I really appreciate you not not uh, damaging our trucks, not trying to break in, not trying to steal anything. I do appreciate that. And he said, oh, no. He said, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was an unusual thing he said, too, kind of. He said his answer was, oh, no, uh, those are expensive trucks. I mean, what's that got to do with it? I, mean, I, I don't know. But that was his answer, and he was he was nice and polite. He, he needed help, and, and we gave it to him. Uh, and it was a humanitarian gesture on our part, and uh, we didn't pick him up and carry him anywhere. At that point, it goes from humanitarian gesture to assisting a felony. So I didn't want any part of that. But, but we helped him out and uh, sent him packing. Back to Mexico, basically. So, as far as safety down there, it's a non-issue. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and from people I've talked to, including the Border Patrol, 
I've not talked to law, law enforcement other than Border Patrol because Border Patrol is down there everywhere. I mean, you'd be sitting there on a road and there's a Border Patrol going by, uh, a truck going by, you know, sometimes once every 20 minutes. And sometimes you don't see them for an hour. So, you know, they're down there and uh, they're, in fact, uh, patrolling and they, in fact, know what they're doing. So an interesting incident happened to me. Uh, there was a chase. Uh, down there, I got sideswiped, lost my mirror, and uh, so the roads are narrow and twisty, and when they're wet, like it's raining, uh, they can be kind of dangerous. So watch your speed, and uh, be aware that there's a lot of U-turns and hairpin turns down there. Uh, we had, I, had a, I had a little bit of a close call yesterday, and I'm going home without a left side mirror. Although I think I can fix that with some duct tape. <laughs> I'm going to look like the Clampus by the time I get home. <clears throat> anyway, that's my that's my take on security down there on that portion of the border. It's not uh, it's not what you have to do. Just don't worry about it. You know, Don't worry about it any more than you would park in your car in a big city. So, anyway, that's it for that. Well, that's it for this episode, uh, hunting Merns Quail in the southern mountains of Arizona. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you at least came away with a few tips on uh, how to go about it. So that brings up another issue that I'd like to talk about just for a second here in the epilogue, and that is that uh, you've got, uh, uh, you know, four or five days, and you want to zip out to Arizona to shoot yourself a bucket list bird. Uh, You may be disappointed. There's a lot of area down here. They... uh, birds are here, but if uh, you go to where the guys are and you hunt down the valleys, uh, you may only see uh, one or two cubbies a day. We, I talked to several people that, um, you know, by and large, uh, when we talk to guys, and I talk to guys alongside the road all the time. I'll just pull off, uh, you know, when we're walking out or driving in or whatever, I'll talk to whoever I can find and see how things are going and and generally, the rule is that they're finding, uh, you know, a few birds on these cubbies uh, down in these valleys, and, and uh, you know, it's not like they're they're getting uh, 10, 15 cubbies a day and shooting all day long. So it's not easy. Uh, and if you get in the wrong area, then uh, you may be disappointed. Uh, there are guides down here that you can get. Uh, I know one guy is an Orbison Norse guide, and you know, I think uh, that might be a good way to, to approach this uh, or find somebody that hunts it and tag along with them. But it's not something like, uh, for example, in New Mexico or uh, maybe Bob White hunting you're used to back east where you can go out and just find an area and wander around with your dog and, and, and find cubbies. Uh, it's, it's not that way at all. And, uh, and there's a lot of different considerations. This is a niche bird. For a reason, and that's because uh, in some ways they're a little difficult to find. Um, I had a good I had a good day and, uh, with seven cubbies uh, in three hours, and that was highly unusual. And I think uh, I think the birds are more plentiful this year than they've been the last two years, which is good news. Um, but I just had a perfect storm of. Uh, Good breeze, cool weather, you know, and 
overcast, the dogs didn't overheat. And, uh, I had my two best dogs on the ground, and it was just the perfect storm, and it worked out well for me. But uh, do some real good hunt planning, and uh, you know, talk to somebody that knows somebody and, uh, that comes down here, and and, uh, and I would I would not recommend just blasting out here saying I'm going to go hunt birds and expect to to be successful. You can, it might happen, but uh, it's not one. It's not a thing that I would uh, plan on doing uh, without some kind of pre-hunt intelligence. So uh, I don't want to, you know, dampen your enthusiasm, but uh, this is a, definitely a bird that, and an area that you need to really, really know about before you get here. And uh, if you can do that, uh, you can go out and and hunt an amazing little bird in a beautiful, beautiful, amazing country. Well, that's it for our episode about Mern's quail hunting. I'd like you to ask you to like, uh, subscribe, and share this episode. And uh, don't forget that you can go to my blog, birdhunterstalks.com sort of my landing page on the right hand side on the home page you can see uh, a list of sponsors and uh, there's also a sponsors page which goes a little more depth about uh, each sponsor but uh, I encourage you to go ahead and take a look at them these are all people that I use uh, and I can uh, heartily uh, vouch for them also uh, you can there's a link there to my book, Endless October, and you can order that on Amazon, or you can send me an email at endlessoctoberbook at gmail.com, and I can arrange to get you an autographed copy. There's also a link to the Audible book, uh, which I narrated myself, and you can order that off of uh, ACX or iTunes or Amazon. So don't forget that on this podcast, you can tell people all you have to do is just tell Siri, play a Bird Hunter's Thoughts, Turn Them Loose podcast, and it will just pop up and start playing for you. That's yeah, just magic. Anyway, I appreciate you, and uh, like, subscribe, and share. Thank you.